Hi, Gasly Ghouls. I am Lee. And I'm Devin. Welcome to Gasly. So, Devin, what's new with you? I'll tell you what's new with me. Next week is Lee's birthday, and I'm super excited. That's what's new with me. Also, Lee made some banana bread tonight, and it's really good. Apparently, it has too many chocolate chips for Devin. I'm not a big banana chocolate chip bread guy, but hopefully she makes me some pumpkin spice bread tomorrow. (laughs) That'd be great. It's next on the list. Okay. So, Lee, what's new with you? We went to the beach last week. I totally forgot. I'm already back in the swing of things at work and back in business mad. Mode. So <laughs> I forgot all about our vacation. That's true. It was short lived. We went to the beach for three days. Shout out to my grandparents for letting us stay with them. There were jellyfish everywhere. And I'm in the stage of life where I don't care if I look like a mega dork on the beach with a huge thing of goggles on. Uh, you definitely do. And it's <laughs> so hot. I love wearing goggles and just searching for shells under the water. And I couldn't do that because every five feet, there was a big, thick, juicy jellyfish trying to touch me. And then they put the flags out that you couldn't go in the water anymore because of rip currents. So I thought this was America, but apparently they can shut down the beach. But nonetheless, we had a great time and we're back and ready to give you a story. Let's do it. As you may know from listening to the last episode, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, so I will be releasing another domestic violence case to invoke awareness of this horrible epidemic of abuse. It's estimated that more than 10 million people are subjected to domestic violence in the U.S. every year, although many of these cases go unreported. There's no race, ethnicity, religion, socioeconomic status, or gender that is immune to falling victim to an abusive relationship. And I want to give a trigger warning that this episode contains multiple forms of abuse, emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. So let's get into the story. On the night of March 9th, 1977, three young children, two girls and a boy, sob together in their family car as they're driven away from their childhood home, which is now consumed by a mesmerizing, horrific inferno. Sheesh. Luminous orange flames flicker from the windows, creating a stark contrast with the obsidian-colored night sky. The siblings cling to each other, shaking, knowing that their parent is inside the home, burning in the flames and suffocating in the billowing smoke. What? The kid's car drives hastily away from their home until it's forever out of sight. This is the story of the Hughes family, so let's rewind and start at the beginning. Yeah, please do, because you have a lot of explaining to do here. That's a pretty crazy start. So, in the small village of Stockbridge, Michigan, a little girl named Francine Moran is born in August of 1947. She grows up on a farm, and her childhood isn't the greatest, Her mother loves her well, but her father is an alcoholic farm worker who is consistently abusive to her mother and to Francine. She grows up thinking that it's normal to live in fear, basically. And unfortunately, this childhood filled with abuse models to Francine that this is just what love looks like. This abuse and hostility is just how men are supposed to act toward the people they love. And although it may feel terrifying and unsettling, that's just life. That's just how life feels. So you tolerate it and abuse is your normal. 
At the age of 16, so in the early 1960s now, Francine is in high school and she meets a young man named James Mickey Hughes, who we'll just call Mickey in this story. He charms her, they fall in love, and Francine drops out of high school to marry her newfound love and to start a family with him, choosing to pursue Mickey instead of pursuing a high school diploma. We'll see how that works out. This love and infatuation is way more desirable to Francine than the life of abuse and terror that she's had at home for the past 16 years, though. Mickey is exciting, and he makes her feel wanted, loved, and desired, so they get married. Francine Moran is now Francine Hughes, and the couple settles down in a Michigan town called Dansville, which is just a simple, quiet, peaceful town, a small town. Spanning over the next handful of years, the married couple has four children together. First is a daughter, Christy, then a son, Jimmy, then a daughter, Nicole, and lastly, a son named Dana. In today's 2023 times, people would look at a woman in her early 20s with four kids as an anomaly, but the 1960s are different times. It is normal for women to want to start families young, even dropping out of high school to do so, and to be enthusiastic about having just a house full of kiddos. It's normal for women to completely depend upon their husband to earn money in this time frame as wives just become homemakers. Women actually can't even open a credit card in their own name until 1974 in the United States, so they are largely financially tied to their husbands during the time periods before this, and this includes the time period of this story, and this describes Francine Hughes' life. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Francine is a doting mother, and she will do absolutely anything for her four sweet kids. She is nurturing, she commits her life to meeting all of their needs, but things between Francine and her husband Mickey have not been going swimmingly. One of the first signs that something is unhealthy about Mickey is when Francine buys a new outfit that's classy and that she feels beautiful in. This is right after they get married. And Mickey gets angry that she's looking beautiful for other people in public. And he takes this new outfit and he rips the clothes off of her and destroys them. How dare she look good? Right? So he destroys her new outfit. And from here, abuse in the household escalates to emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. This inevitably impacts the entire household. The young Francine, who learned from her mother to stick around despite severe abuse, is now passing this same example on to her four children. Her husband, Mickey Hughes, is a violent drunk, just like Francine's own father. Mickey Hughes hurts his wife in front of their kids, just like Francine's own father. Mickey Hughes isolates Francine from her friends and family, just like Francine's own father did to her mother. Mickey Hughes controls the household finances, like Francine's father did, and Mickey Hughes treats Francine like she is a possession that he owns, just like Francine's own father did to her mother. Sounds like a cycle. Yeah, so abuse is often a generational cycle like this that must be consciously broken, and that some people don't know how to break it, or some people don't even realize that the miserable experience of abuse is abnormal and is a cycle that needs to be broken. Francine understandably grows terrified of Mickey as their marriage progresses, and she feels like she can't leave. She dropped out of high school to marry him at 16 years old, having no career or working background that she could potentially lean on to support four kids even if she did leave him, 
and Mickey has slowly cut off Francine's relationship with any friends or family. If he learns she's been talking to anybody, this invokes rage in him. And what happens to Francine happens to many victims. She learns to just obey her husband's controlling demands in order to keep the peace in the house and to try to prevent herself or her kids from getting hurt. I can't imagine that. Having four kids and being stuck with a guy. That's so scary. And Mickey even tells Francine this. He says, quote, there's nowhere to go, bitch, that I won't find you, end quote. He threatens to kill her often. And again, he says these things in front of the kids. Mickey's negative actions span beyond the physical and emotional abuse, though. Mickey is the only source of income for the family, like I've said, but he is an alcoholic, so he consistently blows his paychecks on alcohol instead of buying food for his wife and four children, leaving them actually starving at home sometimes. It is not uncommon for Francine to have to mix grape jelly into water, for herself and the kids just to have something in their stomachs so that they don't starve to death. Ugh. A common food in the household is popcorn because it's cheap and they often cannot afford food with more substance like meat because he spends his money on alcohol. If the kids or Francine upset Mickey, he will forbid Francine from cooking dinner for anybody but him. There is sadly also sexual abuse. I've mentioned that Mickey treats Francine like she's just a possession of his, an object that Mickey owns. So anytime Mickey wants sex, no is not an option. He believes that his wife owes him sex whenever he wants it. And if she says no or says she's not feeling it or says she feels too sick or tired, he forces her to have sex anyways. And this is sexual assault. This is rape. Mickey rapes Francine on a regular basis, often when he's drunk, and there's no documentation or report of sexual abuse of any of the four children, um, but the kids are aware of the sexual assault of their mother, and they're scarred by this. They can hear more than a child should be able to hear, and they can hear their mother's sobs while this is happening. In 1971, though, Francine finally files for divorce from Mickey. All right, let's go, Francine. Yeah, she's had enough of the numerous forms of daily abuse, and she's had enough of the children being witness to it, too. So how long have they been together at this point? They've been together for seven years. Okay. So Francine moves out with her four children, and the divorce is finalized in April of 1971. So separation or splitting from an abuser is notoriously the most dangerous time period for a victim. But fortunately, Francine does seem to get a break from the abuse and is finally able to breathe again. Her kids experience a peaceful home for once in their lives, but this break is short-lived. Her ex-husband, Mickey Hughes, gets in a really nasty car wreck in the summer of 1971, which is a few months after the finalized divorce. Mickey survives the wreck, but has some pretty gnarly injuries that have been inflicted, leaving him with an extensive healing journey ahead of him. Oh, what a shame. And he needs a caretaker. Oh, come on. Yeah, so he plays the sympathy card on Francine, trying to manipulate her into taking him back. Don't do it, Francine. And it's under the guise that he needs her help. And he says her refusal will just hurt him even more because not only will he have physical injuries, but he'll have emotional injuries now too. Francine is super hesitant to help him because she finally just broke free after seven years of torment. Her kids have felt at peace, but... 
he ultimately sucks her back in and convinces codependent Francine to let him live with her and the kids again. She is a people pleaser and she just wants to help him. Plus, she becomes convinced that her kids need a father figure around, even if he's abusive. Sadly, Mickey and Francine slowly fall back into old habits. Mickey is the angry bear in the room, and Francine and the kids have to walk on eggshells all day, every day, and pray that they don't say the wrong thing that will set Mickey off. He spends most of the money on alcohol, still. He enters into drunken rages and punches the walls and breaks furniture to intimidate his family when he's angry. He beats Francine on a regular basis and humiliates her in front of their children. During this time, Francine calls the police consistently. She genuinely thinks she's on the brink of being murdered and just wants help. And the horrible thing about this time period, so the 1960s and the 1970s in the US, is the complete lack of awareness and the lack of laws when it comes to domestic violence and battering. So the police show up to the family home to investigate after each call they receive from Francine, but they cannot arrest Mickey unless they see him actively hurting her with their own eyes, like while they're at home. (laughs) Yeah, which of course Mickey knows not to do that. But police do witness him threatening her and telling her, oh, it's all over for you once they leave, da-da-da-da-da. But what do they do? Nothing. That doesn't warrant anything? No, not at this time. So they do absolutely nothing, and they just leave without Mickey getting in a speck of trouble for abusing his wife. And most of the times they're called to the house, they see bruises and signs of abuse. And Mickey even gets arrested a few times for being belligerent with the officers, but he never gets in legal trouble for the the abuse of his wife. That's very clear. And then on top of this, the children are also still too young to protect their mom from their dad. They know that they'll be beat too if they try to step in. So they just stay in the background and just cry as they watch it happen. There is nobody there to protect Francine, not even the people hired to protect citizens. So at one point, a few years after the couple gets back together, Mickey gets triggered by something one of his daughters does, and he murders his daughter's kitten. Yikes. And that to me is serial killer status. Yep. Killing your young child's pet as punishment. And it's such a deep cruel, insurmountable form of abuse. No child will ever forget something like that. As time continues, Francine is desperate for a way out again. They're still technically divorced, legally, and she wants to be able to support herself and her kids if she does leave again. So I'm not sure what Francine has to say for Mickey to, quote, allow this, but Francine ends up earning her GED in 1976 and officially has completed her high school education. This is five years after Mickey moved in post-car wreck. Francine then enrolls in secretarial school, which is exactly what it sounds like, school where you can take classes to learn to be a secretary. So back in the 60s and 70s, there isn't a wide variety of career choices for women like there are in the 2020s. If women are going to work at this time, there's a really high chance they're going to be working either as a secretary, a nurse, or a school teacher. And Francine must have endured hell with Mickey for signing up for these secretarial classes. But alas, she is enrolled in school and she's coming home to her kids and her husband after the classes. So one Wednesday night after class, Francine walks into her home to find Mickey belligerent drunk and angry. 
that she wasn't home sooner and that she's been spending all this time at school and not at home with him. He threateningly insists that she quits her classes and stays home, but she stands her ground. And like many times before, when she begins to prep dinner for the family that night, Mickey does not allow her to continue cooking for the family. He furiously knocks her dinner ingredients off the counter onto the kitchen floor, and then he shoves Francine onto the floor and mashes her face into the food as he beats her. He then holds one of her arms behind her back painfully as he forces her to pick up the food from the floor that he pushed onto the floor and makes her throw it in the trash. Jeez. So after painstaking minutes of cleaning while still being assaulted by Mickey in front of their kids, Mickey then picks up the trash can that she had just filled with the food and he dumps the whole trash can onto the floor, shoving her face into it again and rubbing the trash into her hair. And then he holds her arm painfully in the same position behind her back again and forces her to clean the trash can debris from the floor as the three children watch. And I say three children, they have four children, but the youngest child, their son Dana, is not at home for whatever reason. So the children are crying and they're yelling to see whether their mom is okay, but they're too scared to actually approach in fear of getting hit by their dad. Francine describes this moment of being humiliated and shoved into trash on the floor in front of her children as being the loneliest feeling in the entire world and the loneliest feeling she's felt in her life. But Mickey is not done being a terrorizing, battering freak. Next, he tells her to grab her textbooks from secretary school and to come to the backyard. He builds a fire in a barrel and he forces Francine to burn each textbook one by one. And then he threatens to kill her if she doesn't quit secretarial school. He absolutely despises the fact that she has access to classmates and people other than just their immediate family. So finally, Francine agrees to quit school just to appease him and to try to save her life in this moment. Mickey then drags Francine back into the kitchen, into the house, and he forces her to cook dinner, but only for him, not for the rest of the family. The rest of the family must starve. As he beats his wife, she even calls the police again. They arrive and they refuse to arrest Mickey since he's not actively beating his wife in front of them, although she does have visible signs of being hurt. The police leave, offering Francine no protection from her abuser and leaving her with an absolutely furious man because it makes him even angrier when she calls the police. Inside, Mickey forces Francine to have sex with him and then he finally falls asleep in bed, blackout drunk. Wow, what a night from hell. Yeah, and it's sad that this is, like, her normal. Yeah. And this is the normal for the kids, too. So Francine, she's been driven to the brink of insanity this night. She has been beaten, raped, humiliated, and her textbooks, which symbolize the only hope for her future that she has, were burned right in front of her as well. So Francine is desperate to get away from Mickey and to never have her kids watch this abuse again. So she instructs her oldest three children that are at home this night to put on their coats and to get in the car outside, and they do. Keep in mind, this is early March in Michigan. It's cold outside, but she is determined to get the kids out of the house. She has decided that she will never return to this house again, and she walks back inside with a newly devised plan that will set her free from Mickey's torment forever. Mickey is drunk, he's passed out in bed, as Francine stands over his body. 
Oh, what's she going to do? So she has this voice in her head screaming, do it, do it. As she angrily recalls all of the times that her ex-husband has abused her and abused their beautiful children over the last 13 horrid years. Francine grabs a jug of gasoline. Here we go. Pours it over Mickey's sleeping body all over the bedroom and lights a match. That's crazy. The entire room bursts into flames immediately. Francine runs from the home, hops in the car with all three of her children, and drives her traumatized, crying kids from the blazing scene. Although there is crying, there's also this unparalleled feeling of freedom and peace for the family. In this moment, Francine knows she's done something wrong, and she drives straight to the Ingham County Jail to report what she had done to her abuser to the father of her children. To the officers, this is insane. Nobody in their right mind would do this. And she seems like she's having a mental break. But they arrest Francine Hughes and she is charged with the murder of Mickey Hughes after firefighters arrive at the family home and confirm Mickey has died of smoke inhalation. To Francine, though, this arrest is worth the feeling of being free from the grasp of her battering ex-husband. When this case goes to trial, it blows up in popularity and in the media. This is because Francine uses the defense of, quote, battered woman syndrome, end quote, which sparks a massive movement in the United States toward creating laws and forming policies to protect women from abuse. So battered woman syndrome is a concept proposed by a woman named Lenore Walker, who described this syndrome as, quote, the pattern of the signs and symptoms that have been found to occur after a woman has been physically, sexually, and or psychologically abused in an intimate relationship when the partner, who is usually, but not always a man, exerted power and control over the woman to coerce her into doing whatever he wanted without any regard for her rights or feelings, end quote. Because people other than just women can also be battered in relationships, they typically use the term, quote, battered person syndrome, end quote, instead now. Symptoms of battered person syndrome can include outbursts of violence against their abuser, dissociative states, post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, chronic pain as a result of the abuse, and increased risk of disease or immune dysfunction induced by years of stress. This syndrome is a subcategory of PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. Battered person syndrome or battered woman syndrome is not necessarily an official legal defense, but it may constitute self-defense, insanity, provocation, and or diminished responsibility, meaning the person's mental function was impaired in some way. Basically, it's where the abuse reaches a point of such intensity that sometimes the victim believes their only way to survive is to kill their abuser. In 1997, the term battered woman syndrome was rejected by the U.S. Congress, who chose to change this to the term, quote, battering and its effects, end quote, but it's the same concept. So back to Francine Hughes' murder case. Her defense is that battered woman syndrome caused temporary insanity, causing her to kill her husband in self-defense. And after much deliberation by a jury in Lansing, Michigan, Francine Hughes is found not guilty by reason of temporary insanity. So the jury says killing her husband is the only way Francine's traumatized brain could come up with to save herself and her children from being killed in the future, and that he provoked her into insanity that night by abusing her. Mm, Okay. 
So Francine Hughes is free to live the rest of her life, free from the torturous grasp of her ex-husband, Mickey. A few years after Mickey's death, Francine meets and marries a country musician named Robert Wilson, who gives her and her children a good and loving life. In 1980, a novel is written about this story called The Burning Bed, and four years later, a film adaptation is released starring Farrah Fawcett. This movie highlights domestic violence as a horrible violation to human rights, and it raises awareness across the country of this previously ignored epidemic. This impactful case and the movie that was made about it adds to the momentum needed for the United States to create laws regarding domestic violence. And, and since this case closed, tons of resources have been made available to assist victims of domestic violence, including amendments to police protocols in regard to reports of intimate partner violence and how they respond to these reports. Well, that's good. Francine finally has the freedom to pursue a career now, and she chooses to become a nurse in the 1980s. She spends many decades of her life caring for sick people and loving on patients in nursing homes. She is radiant, courageous, loving, and kind. Her four children grow into adults, and they still recall all of the traumatic events of their childhood, but they never have to endure that type of abuse again from a person who's supposed to love them more than anyone in the world. These four children go on to bring more children into the world, giving Francine several grandchildren to love on. Francine eventually retires from nursing, but she still teaches nursing classes, and she just spends her free time giving company to the elderly at nursing homes. She's a sweet lady. On March 22nd of 2017, at the age of 69 years old, Francine passes away from pneumonia after having lived a peaceful last 37 years of her life as Francine Wilson instead of Francine Hughes. Francine's case and her courageous fight against her abuser sparked a domino effect of other women gaining the courage and bravery to fight against their batterers and to bring their abusers justice in the court system. Francine proves it is possible to escape from an abusive relationship and go on to live a happy and content life. Happy ending. Everybody deserves healthy love, and if you are in an abusive relationship or if any of the details in this story sound a bit too familiar, please reach out for help. The domestic violence hotline is 1-800-787-SAFE or 1-800-787-3224. Feeling safe in your relationship is imperative, and we want the best for everybody listening. If you know somebody in an abusive relationship, it's really important that you try to keep from judging them. This mentality typically just leaves victims feeling isolated and at fault for the abuse, and it can just push them closer to their abuser. Victims are often embarrassed or ashamed to share details of their abuse, and they need a person to act as a consistent, non-judgmental safe space for them. Not every victim will feel ready to leave their abuser, so patience is required if you know somebody in a relationship like this. Some victims just need access to resources in order to leave, maybe a safety plan or transportation to a shelter. But every victim has hope for a better future. As always, thank you for giving us a listen. Please remember to subscribe wherever you listen so it can be spooky season year-round. And you can follow us on Instagram at Gasly Podcast to see photos from each case. Apologies, I'm like a month and a half behind on this, but I will get them posted soon. We'll see you in two weeks on November 9th for our next episode. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.